You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. This week, we got into some of the more challenging aspects of things like discerning God's will for your life, interpreting scripture, and approaching the more difficult or confusing parts of the Old Testament. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. All right, good morning. Back in the podcast room with Andy Atkinson and Zach Busick. Getting, getting better at saying another. my last name. Thank you. Getting try, better. I'm trying. Atchison. <laughs> probably said a lot of different Sound like ways. my high school coach. Atkins. <laughs> Atkinson. Oh, but we're here for another episode of The Chopping Block. And following up on a sermon on the Davidic Covenant from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I thought maybe we'd just start with a question that kind of gets us into the opening scene here of the chapter. And, uh, you know, Andy, Zach, feel free to answer. Hey, has there been a time in your life where you felt like you were supposed to do something and maybe specifically felt like God was leading you to do something, only to realize later that that was not, in fact, God's plan for you? Maybe through, I don't know, just prayer, mentor. Is there a story like that that you have? I for sure have one of those stories. There was a time several years ago now um, where Melanie and I really felt like the Lord was leading us to become foster parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we had several friends that had uh, fostered or were fostering and several that had adopted, and uh, we really prayed through which of those avenues we felt like the Lord was leading us into. We really felt called to be part of caring for vulnerable children. And yeah, um, we took the path of a foster care. We went through the 30 hour training. Mm-hmm. Um, so for several weeks in a row, went to these classes, um, did a home study, really felt like God was leading us into that. And, um, to make a long story short, the Lord just completely closed that door. Yeah. And um, to be honest with you, man, it was heartbreaking. Like, mm. it was so it was so hard because um, we really felt like that's what God wanted us to do. And he just made it emphatically clear, no. Yeah. Um, so can for sure relate to David going, I'm going to build you a house. And feeling like his motives were pure in that right and god going nope right no i think that i'm sure there are people listening who can really feel that i mean i you know we don't want to tell stories the whole time but specifically i felt called to the local church for a long time and a couple of years ago i was working in a private christian school and i was looking to step into the local church and a really good opportunity came up and like the kind of church I want to be a part of that was doing orthodoxy and orthopraxy really well. And started talking with the lead pastor there and man, we were jiving and I was like, man, this is so good. I want to work for a guy like this. And (laughs) through my wife's discernment, who, who definitely has a gift of discernment and just through prayer and my own ultimate like uh, realization 
God made it very clear that it was not time yet and to, to leave the place I was at and step in. And that was really, mm. as you said, challenging. Uh, it led to some uh, great conversations with my wife and, and significant conversations. But it's hard, you know. It's hard when you when you start to feel inspired about something. You start to feel uh, excited about something. And then the door closes there. Yep. And, and that really gets us into what's going on here at the beginning of chapter 7. David has this idea um, to build a house for God, a, a house for the ark of God. And, you know, he probably thinks it's from the Lord because he's affirmed pretty quickly by the prophet Nathan, who's, who's kind of his sounding board, right? This guy's supposed to be his check and balance, and, and Nathan essentially says, hey, go and do everything you're thinking because it's, it's good. Yep. Um, only to later, through a vision, be told, "Hey, this is not my plan from God." Right. What wh- What do we do with this? Like, what this interaction between David and Nathan? How, what can we take from it when we're confronted with situations where we're starting to feel led to something, inspired about something? Like, wh- what's What's the wisdom, maybe lesson for us here? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I don't know that there's a perfect science to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, discerning the Lord's will. I think as I've tried to process that question in my own life at various moments, um, you know, there there are some things that I think can help us. One, does, like, does this align with his revealed word, mm-hmm. right? So God's never going to contradict himself. And so um, he's never going to lead you down a path that clearly contradicts his uh, decreed will, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the f- the first step is to go to the word and go, does this align with the word? Like, so for example, like um, God never wants you to, uh, you know, sleep with your boyfriend before, uh, before you're married or to, to walk in a promiscuous way that's, that's clearly outside of his will and h- that he said, man, this is a path of flourishing and this is not a path of flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think that's that's step one. I think then there are times where it's like, well, this doesn't, uh, this isn't incongruous with his word. Yeah. So now what? You know, and I, when I was in college ministry, I would get this question a lot. I get a ton of college students going, go, well, what's God's will for my life? And I think the way that they were looking at that was like, I've got to find this needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. I've got to find this one specific thing that God's calling me to do with my life. And I was really helped by a quote attributed to St. Augustine um, where he said, love God and do as you please, which on the surface can sound like this very like, you know, free spirited, almost antinomian Mm -hmm. thing. But like the key is to love God. Mm -hmm. I mean, the word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because if you're delighting in him, your delights are going to align with his will. Um, and so, you know, even we looked at this a couple weeks ago, the love of Christ constrains us. If you love God, there's a freedom that comes with that. Right. Because his spirit is going to counsel you. So I think really press into the Lord, I think, would be advice. And then I think the third thing that we see is there's there's wisdom in the counsel of brothers. Mm-hmm. 
You know, so David has this idea, and initially Nathan goes, man, that sounds great. But it's actually his friend Nathan who comes back to him and says, hey, this isn't great. <laughs> um, God, God revealed to me that you're not supposed to do this. Right. And I think we run into trouble quickly when we make decisions in isolation. Yeah. Um, I think we do well to go, man, I'm going to bring in trusted sisters, trusted brothers, my city group my inner circle and go, man, I'm, I'm sensing the Lord leading me to, to this thing or I really have prayed about it and, and I, I feel led in this direction. What do you guys think? Yeah. Um, and I think to leave room there for, for the voice of, of trusted friends, I think is critical. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I love that Augustine quote. Um, just, Love God and do as you please. Because the reality is, is if you're pursuing the Lord, if you're really actively trying to pursue him uh, in a daily basis just through his word and prayer and, and community, I mean, the reality is, is is God's not going to let you go through a door that he has closed, right? right. I mean, right. I mean, I know that's the cliche thing, but sometimes it's just, hey, I do kind of feel like this could be an opportunity. I pursue it. I pray about it. And God is going to ultimately decide whether that's the right thing or not, right? Yep. And that's what happens to David here. Uh, you know, it's not his, a bad idea. His will will find us. Like, his <laughs> sovereignty is a comfort. Right. It's, it's not this, like, and you better crack the code and find it or right. you're going to send your life on a trajectory that's irrevocable. That's, that's not how the scriptures are revealing the sovereignty of God to us. Yep. Scriptures are revealing the sovereignty of God to us as a comfort. Mm. That God's got you. He's gonna keep you, um, and in this and in this instance with David, like <laughs> the Lord reveals His will very clearly yeah. to David through yeah. through His friend Nathan, and I think we can take comfort in that. Uh, I'm reminded of a Fred Rogers quote I heard the other day. He's talking about being a good neighbor, loving your neighbors. He said, "Your neighbor is whoever you happen to be around at the time." Mm. I think there's something in that when we think about God's calling on our lives. Like mm-hmm. I went, I, you know, I've gone through phases of like thinking like I'm going to know, like I'm going to see it in a dream or a vision and know, you know, like when I was a teenager and I was really involved in like some more like charismatic styles of worship and stuff. And right. Be like, we'd be praying and singing for hours. And I, it's like, I have a vision of, of this or that and you know right um and lots of time that was just my imagination running wild and then in a room of people it happens to apply to and then we you know and that can be um valuable in its own way and then i've gone through you know as i kind of grew out of that and experienced some pain in that going through phases of thinking well from you know if on one side of the spectrum god helps you find a parking spot and on the other side of the spectrum right. like you got to almost deism yourself almost deism yeah yeah like, um and i you know i don't know i still haven't struck maybe the right balance there but sometimes god hands it over to us and says you know it lets us make the decision right of, and 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 in you know so there's still the you know we look to the bible for our ethics and how we make our decisions but if it's Outside of that, you know, maybe he's not calling us to some specific 
maybe there's not a magical like this is what you have to do but it's you know like love your neighbor who's your neighbor whoever happens to be yeah. around you at the time and same thing with like a vocation like yeah like what am i called to god what am i called to maybe sometimes god's response is well who's around you what do you have before you to do like right uh how are you gifted how wh- where are your passions like yeah. how do those align with the things i've clearly revealed which is to to love me and to love your neighbor yeah. and yeah i think th- and, and that's i think there's a freedom there um that really helps us i mean does this accord with his word does it accord with wisdom mm-hmm. have i brought people in that i feel like i can trust and if after all of those things you're still going man both of these are, are solid options yeah it's like then do the one you want you know do the do the one you want and and what you're saying you know who's right in front of you yeah. Do the do the thing that's right in front of you. I mean, even that the, the advice of like do the next best thing. Right. Yeah, I think is really helpful. We 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 can definitely overcomplicate at times. Also, uh, Zach, you get double points for a Mister Rogers quote today. <laughs> um, so yeah, David gets a clear no. Yep. We Andy and I joked about this and laughed about this a couple times last week. Essentially, you know, if you want to put a voice on it, God says, "Oh, you think you're going to build." Me a house? No, I'm going to build you a house. Yeah, I immediately, <laughs> when I read it, went Jim Gaffigan, New York accent. Like, <laughs> you going to build me a house? Yeah. I don't think so. So, you know, you, you brought up this no in the sermon and essentially said, you know, some of what David is trying to do here is is maybe secure what feels fragile to him. Mm. This this kingdom, is this fledging, fledgling kingdom it's starting to come into its own. You know, there's some peace, there's some rest from their enemies. The ark is in Jerusalem. And now it's like, okay, how do we keep this going? How do we secure this? And and part of what David may have been thinking is like, if I can build this house, if I can if I can give God a permanent place amongst us, then then we can enjoy this yep. forever. But God's no is a clear answer to how that kind of abiding security and peace comes like i mean you know but this you know we're not trying to build houses build temples for the lord here in 2023 what's the takeaway for us as we think about our own faith well the the principle that i was trying to extract out of this scene with david was essentially that the kingdom doesn't come by us doing for god but by god doing for us Mm. And this is just so counterintuitive, I think, to us. Um, but I think it's so critical. I think it's at the heart of the Bible. I think this story is being retold over and over and over again in scriptures. Just the the truth that the kingdom comes by grace through faith, not by our own doing. Um, and, and I do think that that's fundamental to what's happening here. I think the reason why God pumps the brakes on David is because it seems like David is putting his trust a little bit in, man, if I can just build this house for God, if I can do this thing for God, then it might procure his blessing and it might secure us more permanently. And God's going, man, we got to get this in the right order. Yeah, It's it's always me doing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we see this even with like the Exodus, right? The, the, the order of the Exodus is so critical. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't take them to Sinai and say, hey, if you live, if you live under these these laws, 
then I'll be your God, and then I'll rescue you and save you. He rescues them and saves them. And then he says, hey, come live in relationship with me. Here's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pattern is always God does. And then he invites us into that. Mm. I mean, that's fundamental to the gospel. Yeah. You know, the gospel is not I, I obey and therefore I'm accepted, right? It's I'm accepted and therefore because of the great love with which God's loved me, because I'm accepted, I want to obey. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we don't get that order right, we fundamentally miss the main message of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Uh, it's the heart of everything for us, right? But, you know, I think even as we look at this passage, some of us might get confused as we're reading and, you know, Nathan kind of gives this vision, this this record of this vision to David and says, hey, this is actually what's going to happen. And I, I, I do, to your point, I love all the eyes in that uh, passage where the Lord is talking about, hey, I'm the one that took you from the pasture. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I have destroyed all your enemies. I will make a great name for you. I will designate a place for my people. It's like, hey, I'm the one who's done this and will do it. Yep. Uh, so I love that. But as we think about like the storyline of the Bible in general, which maybe we'll get to that more in just a moment, there's some maybe struggle for us as we see this promised son of, of David. This Hey, there's going to be some someone who comes out of your line who's going to sit on the throne. And we know that Solomon's coming next. We know that Solomon actually does build a temple. Help help people who go like, hey, how is this talking about Jesus? Like, how, how is Jesus involved here? Because David does have another son who builds a temple. And is Solomon the fulfillment of this? Is David the fulfillment of it? Just some, help us think through how we work through a yeah. prophetic vision like this. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the short answer is yes, right? They're both... <laughs> fulfillment of it in in some ways and this is often how prophecy works um in scripture we, we i think we want this sort of like grenade approach to prophecy where it's like there's this immediate one-to-one correlation the prophet says this and you know you know like boom like there's the answer but we have to remember like the the prophets are being given like visions of things to come and it's not all completely clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're seeing some things that will be fulfilled in the near future. They're seeing other things that will be fulfilled, you know, in multiple ways. You know, so there's this sort of recapitulation of the prophecy where it happens and it happens and it happens again. But that ultimately, ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus, and we for sure see that going on in Second Samuel seven, where you know part of the prophecy is you're not going to build a house; your son's going to build the house. Well, that's Solomon. Solomon builds; he builds the physical house, right. but Jesus also fulfills that in an ultimate sense because there's a play on words here. David wants to build a physical house for Yahweh. Yahweh says, "I'm going to build you a house," but he doesn't mean a literal house. Yeah, he means a dynasty, a household. A succession of kings on the throne that culminates in a king who rules forever. Well, who builds that house? Only a king who lives forever. Mm-hmm. And so 
Solomon fulfills it partially. Jesus fulfills it ultimately. Then there's this idea of, you know, when when your sons walk away from you, when they rebel, they're going to be punished. You know, they're going to be scourged. Well, certainly that's the Davidic line that comes after Solomon, where with few exceptions, these kings walk away from the Lord and God disciplines them. Jesus is the perfect son who walks in obedience, who is wounded for our transgressions Mm. and who was, you know, pierced for our iniquities and by his wounds, we are healed. And so what you, what you have in the Davidic covenant promises is you have immediate fulfillment partially in Solomon and then in the, the Kings that come after Solomon in the Davidic line. And then you have ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And this is this is how prophecy works in the Bible. And so it can be confusing. Um but I think as we as we do the work um of trying to unpack it, man, there's such a reward mm. in doing that work. And I think we have to let the New Testament help us. Right? The New Testament authors really help us. So the best way to understand the Old Testament is to read the New Testament. And the best way to understand the New Testament is to read the Old Testament. Mm. The New Testament authors, almost nothing's original. They're picking up on a storyline, and they're bringing it forward and showing how Jesus is at the center of all of it. I mean, even think about how Matthew begins his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. He's going to keep the genealogy going that goes back to David and further back to Abraham. Well, I think that's uh, powerful, and I think it's uh, maybe even new to a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, for a lot of us, and and, and I don't mean this, um, I don't mean this in any sort of negative way necessarily, (laughs) but for a lot of us, it's just, hey, I I love Jesus. I just want Jesus. I get Jesus. And, and, And yes to Jesus. We are Jesus people at City Life Church. Uh, the, the crucified and risen Christ, but he doesn't airdrop into history yep. with no prior story. Yep. This is a Jewish Jesus that comes through a a Jewish Israelite history with promises and covenants, and and you know that's really where you started your sermon. Uh, you know, you talk about the complexity of the Bible. It's sixty six books. You know, written by forty plus author, authors, crossing multiple continents and. 1,500 to 2,000 years, you know, it's there's a lot going on here. There's diversity in the genres. There's diversity in the authors. But but you kind of started with this idea that there's an overarching theme. Right. And for many of us, it's hard to see that. It feels like, okay, what am I reading? What's going on here? The, this king did this to who? And, and, and where are we at in the story? Um, so maybe just... Why is, is, is us seeing that thread so important, that singular thread being pulled through Scripture? And, and how, to the person who's never saw that before, how, what can they begin to do to start to put those pieces together? Yep. Well, I think it's important because it kind of keeps us in some healthy parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some crazy things um, said about the Bible, and I've, I've, I've heard and seen some crazy things extracted out of the Bible. I mean, you get into 
all kinds of just craziness, you know, Bible codes and, you know, really uh, manipulating and using the Bible to say what you want it to say to get it on your political trajectory or narrative or whatever. And I think understanding that it's a cohesive overarching story that really culminates, you know, in the story of Jesus, Uh um, that he is, um, every promise made in the old Testament is fulfilled in Christ Mm -hmm. in his person work in second coming. Um, that really keeps you in some safe parameters mm-hmm. um, so we don't end up abusing the Bible, I think, in unhealthy ways. I think I think that's why it's really important. Um, I think it's really important that we see, you know, it says in Luke 24, it's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're sad because they had thought Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. And they had no category for a crucified Messiah. And Jesus kind of cloaks himself veils himself from these disciples recognizing him and he begins to walk with them and he asks them why they're sad and they're like, well, we, are you the only one who hasn't heard? Like, they've killed Jesus. And, and Jesus softly rebukes them and said, you know, you're so slow of heart to see and believe that this was predicted. And it says beginning, excuse me, beginning with Moses, and with all the prophets, which is a, a way of saying the old in the old old in the entire Old Testament, yeah, Jesus interpreted the things concerning himself. He showed them how the whole book was pointing to his life, death, and resurrection. Mm. And I, I think if if we don't see Jesus at the heart of the Bible, we we don't understand it. Mm. It's about him. Amen. Um, so you know, I, th- I think the second part of that was some helpful tips or some ways to yeah i mean just for the person who's never seen that before what's what's what are some of the ways to start putting those pieces together that's a great question i I would say um zach i'm probably gonna steal your answer just read it the more you read it the more you'll start to see it yeah i think stephen dempster says that uh in dominion and dynasty he's like I just started reading it over and over and over again. And as you read it over and over and over again, these themes start to emerge and you start to connect the dots. Um, but you don't get that with, you don't get that with reading it once and you don't get that with, Oh, let me throw my Bible open and point at a verse and hope that that miraculously speaks to me somehow. You get that from reading for breadth, like read it as a novel and reading for depth, like really digging in to unpack some of the nuance. Um, so I think you, you have to read it. Um, and then I think there are some helpful tools to help us begin to try to understand genre. Um, reading the Bible for all it's worth by, uh, oh, who wrote the that? Fee? Yeah, Gordon Gord- Fee? Yeah, Gordon Fee. and Stewart. Gordon yeah. Fee, yeah. That's, that's a helpful little introductory book on just how to get the most out of Scripture. Um one book that I leaned on for this sermon was God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. I think he's a Anglican uh, priest in, uh, in England, and he wrote this book for his congregation to try to begin to help them understand how the whole Bible fits together under this theme of kingdom. Um, 
and we've actually talked about maybe doing a workshop using that book as a resource to just kind of map out a meta narrative for mm-hmm. for our body because I think it's important. Um, but those would be a couple resources I'd point you to. Zach, do you have any other thoughts there on yeah. just tips? Well, um, I think especially when we talk about themes like of covenant, um, a really helpful resource is the Bible Project app. I'm like a shell for the Bible Project. I just every week at <laughs> no. City Group, we knew like, it was coming, but we were waiting for people it. People take bets like how long it'll take me to mention <laughs> the Bible Project. Um, but their app, their app actually, you can actually like follow a theme. And you, and you can, like, w- watch the videos on that theme. And as you're reading, that theme will be highlighted. Yeah. And it's this really useful system for actually, like, um, just kind of highlighting some of those things that go through the whole Bible. And just the themes of biblical theology, like covenant or um, the Holy Spirit or um, things like that. And also, like, I think something that's helped me a lot is, like, just accepting that I'm not going to understand on the micro level, like every verse as I'm reading, there will be things that I come across that don't make any sense. And to just keep reading in spite of that, like don't like let that get you stuck. Yeah. And on the other side, like not feeling the need to understand the whole thing from beginning to end. And like, um, if you like, there's nothing wrong with finding pieces of scripture that really speak to you and that, ah, okay, this I can get, you know, like Mm. I can come to this, like lots of Psalms can be this way. Lots of the narratives can be this way. Um, Like Ruth that we just went through in December is like, that's just a great story that anybody should read and and be able to find value from, you know? And like, so just finding an entry point of like, like, this piece of scripture, okay, this makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I get this. I, yeah. I, I can come back to this. Honestly, like, one of these for me is might be kind of a, a weird one, but Ecclesiastes. Like, uh, I feel like Ecclesiastes is a really good point for someone who has maybe a skeptical bent or a cynical bent mm-hmm. uh, to, or or even like a philosophical bent to, enter scripture and see that they're like, there's a diversity of thought in scripture. Yeah. Like there's points where Proverbs and Ecclesiastes straight up do not just, dis- or do not agree with each other. Proverbs is like, if you're wise and you, and you do live a righteous life, then God will give you a long life and, and make you healthy. You know, Proverbs sometimes reads like the prosperity gospel, but then Ecclesiastes comes along and says, you should be wise. You should live a good life but life is messy and, you know, and so yep. just reading Ecclesiastes for me was a point where I could enter the Bible and be like, there's diversity and complexity in the way that the Bible yep. talks about life. And, mm-hmm. um, and so following those themes and just fi- finding an entry point where, where, uh, okay, this makes sense to me and I can come back to this and it doesn't all have to make sense, but this does this part um, or this piece or this theme. I think that point of, just like don't let a don't let a verse trip you up. I mean, I think that can happen. You read a passage, you read a section, you're like, man, I have no idea what's going on here, or what in the heck was that, or, and it can just totally derail you. And just this idea of like, just keep reading, like, mm-hmm. um, and then finding finding those those places that that do connect and speak. And those have been different uh, sections for me in different moments of my life. 
um, where the spirits really met me in a particular place in the scriptures. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's all really helpful. And to your point, Zach, on, you know, even the narrative sometimes making sense, like the, 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 maybe the first step for anybody is to read the historical books in the old Testament and the historical books in the new Testament, right? Like you're, you're, so you at least get the storyline of what's going on here. You're reading the Torah and you're reading, um, up to really what second Chronicles, uh, and then you're reading the gospels and acts and, and, and you're understanding at least the storyline, uh, of what's going on here. Of course, everything fills in the prophets are necessary. The, the wisdom books are necessary. The, the letters in the New Testament are necessary, but it can give you some help to understand the storyline there. So, I actually think Crossway put out a book called Unfolding Grace where they tried to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like kind of seam it together as as this narrative. Right. And That's, if you fall in love with one part, like inevitably, it's all so right. interconnected <laughs> yep. that like you'll go down the rabbit hole if you start in, if you start in a gospel. Right you'll end up seeing threads that go to every other piece of the Bible and every other genre. Yeah, sure. That's that's what makes the Bible living and active. And, you know, I think we're probably pushing on our time here. Uh, but I'll ask one last question, and if Zach needs to cut it, we'll cut it, okay? It's, uh, but you end uh, with this thought that the most really important or significant thing that David did was to sit after this word from the Lord, like he just sat. Um, he went into the Lord's presence and sat. That can feel really passive for us. Why is this so significant? Why is this worshipful? And maybe even like, why is this not just a a, a scene of passivity? Hmm. Well, I think it goes back to what we said earlier, which is that our impulse is, is to do. Yeah. It's to earn. That we are, we are hardwired to a workspace righteousness, mm-hmm. um, and and that's the whole thing that God seems to be correcting here with David. Mm-hmm. And and David sitting is David receiving the word. No, no, David, this isn't going to be about you doing for me. This is me doing for you. And David goes and sits before the Lord, mm-hmm. and receives that, and begins to worship. You know. David sitting before the Lord is not passivity. Worship is not passive. We have some people that think it is on Sunday morning, uh, <laughs> but it's not. We should be engaged, and not just in our corporate gatherings, but, you know, Zach reminded us Sunday in worship that this is one small part of a life of worship where we offer our whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Worship isn't passive. So David goes and sits before the Lord's presence and he begins to process on the promises of God. And man, he he recognizes, man, this is a small thing for you, Lord, but this is no small thing for me. This is a big deal. Um, and then he begins to pray. Lord, bring it to pass. Do the things that you've said you'll do. Um, you know, I'm, I, I think it's Oswald Chambers who reminds us that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Mm. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer positions us in this active dependency. Mm. You know, it makes me think of Paul's language of be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, 
it's this active passive actively posture yourself in a in a passive way Mm -hmm. actively posture yourself for dependency well how do you do that only by prayer um and prayer is how the kingdom advances god has said i'm going to do this thing Mm -hmm. and he's also said i'm only going to do it when you ask and you seek and you knock Mm -hmm. and so before we rush off to do things for god I think it's really critical that we learn how to sit before him. And so, yeah, the the message is not, you know, that we're called to all be monks, you know, and and to, you know, just do nothing with our lives. But the message is very clearly like we're called to sit before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to learn how to do that. We We struggle. We struggle to do that. It's hard for us. Um, and even if you just sit in silence for five minutes, I think, so, like, see how passive it really is. <laughs> yeah. This is a hard, hard thing to do. Like, literally five, ten minutes of just being silent is actually, it's almost like the more passive things just to keep keep doing, keep going, 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 keep that momentum, and then, you, you know, you never have to sit in that hard, scary, often uh, difficult stillness and silence before God. That's why we scroll on our phones. Because mm-hmm. it's actually a more passive thing to just mindlessly amuse ourselves than to actually sit. Mm-hmm. Zach, you just went on a silence tr- retreat, right? Kind of. And it was it was hard to remain <laughs> silent. I also was songwriting and, you know building a campfire i found lots of things to avoid being silent on the trip. <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah made me as an introvert feel extroverted made yeah. me very grateful for my wife came and hung out i was out for four days and she came and hung out for one evening and some friends came out for the nap last night and it made me really pine for the moments with with other people but yeah i mean it's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. That was my main takeaway about silence. My, one of my favorite shows is the show Alone. Have you seen this? It's a survival show where these ten contestants are taken to like this remote, like Vancouver Island or something like somewhere cold and dang, like grizzly bears, um, and they're allowed to bring like I think like ten items, and. It's pitched as this, it's a survival show, but what you realize is people tap out with really nicely built dwellings. Yeah. And they figured out food. They have fire. They have everything that they need to survive, but the the psychology of being alone, Mm -hmm. just they can't handle it. So we were made, you know, we were made for community. Like we need... We need that, but I think it's 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 an important thing to learn how to sit before the Lord. Yeah, and maybe just as we end here, you know, Ash Wednesday tomorrow, start of the Lenten season. Maybe the most worshipful thing that we could do is we start this season where we're thinking about that Jesus has done the work for us. He's done it for us on our behalf, not a work we can do. Maybe the most worshipful thing we could do this week is sit and be still and know that He is God. If you want to find out more about City Life Church, 
or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.